Welcome, basic witches and wizards, for another episode of Raw Talk with Sheena. Thank you so much for joining us this week. It's a super, super special episode. I know I say that a lot, but this is one of those conversations where during the recording, I found myself forgetting that I was recording and also just being so immersed and connected to this individual that I was speaking to. It was like, I was so enamored by this story in so many ways for so many reasons, and I hope that you feel the same way. So before we get into that episode with Sydney, I have a few announcements to make. The first is I have a super special promotion that's happening with my business, The Space. It's the portion of my sort of wellness center, I like to call it, um, in New Orleans. So I have Raw Republic Juice, which is downstairs, and then the space is kind of an expansion of the idea of the juice bar, but was created to encompass more of the conversation, more of the community aspect, more of the one-on-one coaching aspect of healing, which I felt was really necessary. And I recognized that when I was um, working with people one-on-one at Raw Republic was that people needed a lot more than just a change in their nutrition. They needed um, they needed life transformation and they needed support in the space that I wasn't able to provide for them just by having the juice bar. So that was the inspiration in beginning the business, which we call the space. And so now it hosts over 10 practitioners who are really, really amazing in the work that they're doing in this world. A lot of them you've heard on the podcast and some of them you haven't, but they offer services ranging from private yoga and meditation to different types of energy healing, different types of coaching from life coaching to nutritional consulting, spiritual coaching. The list goes on and on truly. Um, And anything that you're finding you need support with in your life that you maybe don't have someone to connect with on. Maybe you don't have an outside perspective on. Maybe you'd like someone to be able to tap into your blocks and and um, your difficulties and your obstacles to help you navigate them in a new heightened way, enlightened way, if you will. That is the purpose of the space. And so the promotion for this month for Raw Talk with Sheena listeners is for all distance, energy healing, and coaching, this month is 10% off. So I know that I, I just gave you a lot of information about the space. So the best thing to do if you're interested in receiving some sort of coaching or some sort of intuitive guidance session or some sort of consulting, nutrition, or otherwise, email Ashley. She's my manager there at info at wellnessxthespace.com. Ask her for a menu or let her know what's going on with you. Let her know what you're looking for. And also be sure to mention that you're a Raw Talk with Sheena listener so that she can extend the 10% off for you this month. So that will end January 31st, twenty. 18. Oh my gosh. I'm not used to saying that. Okay. So, um, yeah, take advantage of that. And I know if you guys are avid listeners and you heard last week's episode with Noel, you know that our practitioners are really experienced in their modalities, but they're also generally experienced in many modalities. So Noel, for example, 
is also offering spiritual coaching, which she is certified from James Von Prague, which is a really interesting person to look into. And so her spirit, she wanted me to mention that she's really excited about offering distance spiritual coaching sessions this month because she's offering them from Hawaii. (laughs) Yes, get jealous now, which is amazing because she feels really connected in that space and feels like she just wants to offer some of her expertise and love to the world. So I'm mentioning that specific service um, in addition to all the other ones that are going to be 10% off this month. Um, a couple of local events that are happening, if you are in New Orleans, is um, we're having the Aura Portrait Sessions happening on January 20th from 10 to 6. That's Mood by Moss is coming in from Austin, Texas. And they're going to be setting up a yurt to do Aura Portraits in. And at the same time, um, one of my former employees and friends... Um, and also someone who created some recipes for Raw Republic has now her own instant latte line, and she's going to be sampling those as well. So this Saturday in New Orleans at the space is going to be super special and fun. So if you can stop by and you're local, please do that. Another thing that's happening at the space is our new Wind Down Wednesday sessions. So this is like a juiced up meditation, community, dharma sort of event where we do a 20 to 30 minute meditation. We do a special sample from Raw Republic. And then following that, we are doing a 20 to 30 minute community talk just to give everyone an opportunity to say either how the meditation made them feel or if something is in particular is going on in their lives that they want to share. Generally, this instigates a great conversation. And the the leader of the meditation is the person who's kind of monitoring and and guiding this, this chat. And it's been really beautiful. I've really enjoyed doing it. Um, for Raw Talk with Sheena listeners, I try to post the meditation portion on the Raw Talk with Sheena Facebook group page. And um, for those who are not local, every once in a, or, or who are not in the Facebook group, every once in a while, the space will post it on their Facebook page, the meditation portion. So if there's any opportunity for you to tune in or show up for that, that's another really fun, amazing event. Um, let's see if we have anything else. I think that's pretty much done for the announcements. Let's see. Um, Oh, I did want to say on Instagram, you guys have been really amazing with DMing me suggestions and information, ideas for guests, ideas for topics. And I love it. It's just sometimes hard to answer all the questions or to get back to you guys. So um, something else that I would request is that if you are doing something that you learned about through Raw Talk with Sheena um, and you are inspired to take a picture of it and share it, be sure to hashtag raw talk with Sheena and tag me so that I can kind of keep track of your transition and what's happening as a result of your tuning into the podcast. It, it helps me to see the things that are really um, transformational for you and the things that you've really latched onto and have helped you grow. And that helps to guide the direction of the podcast. So I enjoy that. I think it's fun. Um, I'm going to be in New York and L.A. 
um, obviously at two separate times. So stay posted on my Instagram for information on those things because there's a possibility that I may have a live podcast in each location. So um, I think that's it on the announcements. That's a ton of announcements. Sorry about that. Um, But this episode is well worth the the wait. I'm going to tell you a little bit about Sydney before um, I play the recording. So Sydney Hedge Path, which if you guys are tuning in, you probably know that this episode is about ayahuasca. And I think it's really interesting that Sydney's last name is Hedge Path. Because I look at that and I see Plant Journey, which an experience with ayahuasca is that. I find that to be an incredible synchronicity. So, so Sydney is someone, she grew up in New Orleans and from a very young age was just kind of, <clears throat> she was, she's always been strikingly beautiful and tall and thin. And so she's just naturally kind of become an entertainer. She was initially a model, um, turned singer, turned actress, and she was actually in a Lifetime and a Disney movie before the age of 18. And so she gained a lot of traction in the entertainment industry and um, was kind of hustling to make that happen. But at the same time, beginning at the age of 10 years old, she was diagnosed with rheumatoid juvenile arthritis, which is very, very rare. And in another synchronistic way, her mother is a rheumatologist. So, yes, very interesting. Um, her, her journey with illness began at a very young and very interesting age where I guess she didn't have a lot of power to direct her healing or direct what was happening as a result of that diagnosis. And so her journey her speaking about her journey really goes into how she's had to overcome that experience of that diagnosis and living with pain for the majority of her life. This story is incredible. It's mind opening. It's, it's jaw dropping. I loved hearing about it. I have always had an interest in ayahuasca. Um, I don't, no, if it's something that I could personally partake in yet at this point in my life, because I know from from hearing about it from this perspective, it is completely transformational. And I'm sure that a part of me is hesitant to experience that. But at any rate, the information is the knowledge and is the power to make those decisions when they're right for you. So I encourage you to tune into this episode with an open mind and an open heart. And please enjoy Sydney. You're listening to a fresh new podcast on healing, spiritual development, nutrition, energy work, and sometimes aliens. From the owner of the celebrity acclaimed Raw Republic Juice Bar and Wellness Center in New Orleans, Louisiana, Sheena Manina. Yes, that's her real name. This is Raw Talk with Sheena. And we're live. Hi, everyone. I have a really amazing and special guest today. Her name is Sydney Hedgepath. Hedgepath. Path. Wow. So indicative of actually what we're going to talk about. Like plant 
path, like <laughs> plant path, a journey. It's so interesting. So um, just to give everyone a little bit of background on how we met, you came into my store, which like I say this all the time and I don't know that people really resonate with the fact that there's something about the energy of this store that has drawn in so many amazing stories and people. Yeah, I believe it. It's a, it's literally called the space. So the space that makes sense. And so I've had the blessing to be able to connect with so many different stories, so many different people, and so you were just kind of browsing the products and and I heard you talk about the fact that you just came back from this amazing journey which we're going to get into um but before we kind of like spill the beans into everything (laughs) which is what you're talking about and speaking about right now I want you to kind of give people an idea of where you came from that um kind of brought you to the path of of questioning and and looking into very alternative ways of healing yeah, so I'm I'm from here. I'm from New Orleans, and when I was 10 years old, I was diagnosed with juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. And I was a very active person. I played every sport under the sun, and so I'd say to have that stripped away from me at the age of 10 by a doctor telling me, well, basically you have this thing where your body attacks itself now, so you pretty much need to stop everything you're doing and change your life. Um, it created a psychology for me that I never recognized as existing until this year. Um, but yeah, so for the past 15 years or so, I've really been at odds with myself. I've been in a battle with my own body, mm-hmm. believing very strongly that I have a disease, an autoimmune disease, that I can't help myself because my body is attacking myself, according mm-hmm. to physicians all around the world. Um, I've gone into many different doctor's offices, gone down the neurological route, um, neuro-ophthalmologist. I started having a lot of weird symptoms. And it's- Wait, tell me even, like, what do you even mean by that process of healing? Like, what's a neuro-ophthalmologist? Opt- yeah. Like, uh, what is that? It's someone who looks at the eye as connected to the neuro- neurological system. Oh. So... The disease progressed in such a way, it's a very rare disease. Um, Rheumatoid arthritis? Rheumatoid arthritis, but specifically juvenile rheumatoid arthritis that then became some form of rheumatoid arthritis. And what's interesting is that none of my blood tests ever in my life indicated that I had this disease. My mother is actually a rheumatologist, and so she has been, she was one of the ones who diagnosed me. Wait, what? Yeah. Wait, what? Okay. Just to reinstate to everyone, like Sydney and I met last week, right. so I know none it's a lot of this. Of info. But wow! So your mother diagnoses she, people all day long with rheumatoid arthritis, then, and then her daughter, who's at a softball game at the age of ten, comes up to her and says, "Oh, I think I jammed my finger." And she goes, "Hmm, what? What are your?" She didn't say what are your symptoms, but she was basically like, "Well." how long has it been hurting and then she looked at all my fingers and they all looked jammed and then I started complaining about my feet and then it was this and so she brought me to a pediatric rheumatologist who then said yeah your daughter has juvenile rheumatoid arthritis and was there any way that they were looking at like uh, what were they looking at x-rays like anything to give them 
it was my symptoms mostly um waking up and feeling like you're walking on rocks Mm -hmm. um a lot of inflammation in the joints Mm -hmm. particularly in in the hands but it was bilateral so on both sides of my body and everywhere Mm -hmm. um I had stiffness and swelling and mostly just an exam but then there was blood work they did and MRIs and x-rays, but everything appeared to be normal. Except for your symptoms. Except for my symptoms and except for this diagnosis. Right. (laughs) Which for a lot of people listening, we've talked about autoimmune conditions in the past and what you're stating as your symptoms are the symptoms of uh, autoimmune disorders. Right. I had a lot of other weird symptoms and my mom always says that she's the doctor of weird diseases and it's kind of true um I would like when I was eight so before I ever had the joint problems I well first of all was getting chronic strep I was getting penicillin shots in me by when I was under the age of 10 probably Mm -hmm. once every two or three months yeah I was getting like weird sensations neurological things down my leg deep aching and my body was just like reacting to something. Mm -hmm. And then when it became manifest in my joints, it was something my mom was able to recognize. Um, so, so to bring it back to where I am now, um, I believe that that diagnosis was really an important, it was an important thing in my life to bring me where I am now on this path because I recognize that so much of what I've been battling has been the diagnosis it hasn't really been the symptoms. The symptoms have gotten worse, and the mm-hmm. symptoms have expanded into other facets of my health and well-being. But it's always been in my head, like, wow, your body is attacking itself. And not only just your body, your immune system, the thing yes. that keeps you healthy and mm-hmm. feeling good. So, so it's almost like you attach to this this voice in your head that is telling you constantly, which, you know, I talk about this all the time and I think about this all the time that like, if you eat something and no matter what it is that you eat, like no matter where it comes from, what the quality is, what the quantity is, like if you're telling yourself, this is causing me inflammation, this is causing me to like be bloated or gain weight, Mm -hmm. that is programming the food to do that in your body. That's a really good word to use. Um, I, yeah, I I think that's just a really good word to use. I recently have, we'll talk about this obviously, but in doing and working now with other modes of healing, the concept of programming your body to be receptive to plants um, or receptive to anything is a really big part of shamanic healing. And, and being on a diet um, to facilitate that healing. So my grandfather always told me mind over matter and he stressed that. Mm -hmm. Um, He was was an avid self-hypnotic man who meditated since World War II and uh, he- What? Yeah. No one's grandfather meditated. Well, he called it trance and he called it Mm -hmm. Um, self-hypnosis. Anything to not say that they're meditating? I don't even know if he- like was familiar with that verbiage. Um, he was like born and raised New Orleanian, like never left, you know, this, wow. this part, except mm-hmm. when he, of course, you know, went overseas in a B-17 and fought for wow. this country. But um, yeah, he learned self-hypnosis. And I remember him telling me um, that you can do anything with your mind. And he was always, 
he had so much compassion for me and was he really raised me and when I would go over there there was so much love and I never thought about being sick when I was with him and he would always instill in me your mind can do anything you want and I would say Papa but how do you go to that place mm -hmm. and he would say well you need to go to the place of no doubt I said no doubt how do you how do you okay let me try and he goes mm, you're already doubting yourself right. and I was nine so you know if, if I were with him now it would be a different conversation but I think he's really with me um every step of this journey because I'm a very avid meditator and we were talking about Vipassana and Zen Buddhism meditation practices and I think about him I think now the mind is so powerful and I'm really grateful for the meditation practice because I believe it led me to this path of alternative healing and uh and now it's the thing that keeps me <laughs> keeps me going and yeah I really believe pain-free oh my god okay so was there any other thing that you need to note upon your journey that like kind of brought you to the place which is like the chrysalis of this conversation yeah I have always been a little all over the map you could say um when the big film boom happened in New Orleans, I was like, I don't know, 12 years old. Um, and I was immediately like going for auditions. I wanted yeah. to be in movies. And, um, and then after like a few, you know, I was in a Disney movie and then I was in a Lifetime movie and I was like, yeah, I'm done with this. I've moved, I've traveled to LA and was doing music because I would always play, um, shows around New Orleans. Mm -hmm. And so I had, I was, I'm like, <laughs> I had no idea, like any of this stuff about you. So I was, and, and the journey continues. I was, I worked in entertainment basically to pay for college. And even when I was in college, I was taking time off and going back to LA, working in the music industry. And so my whole life, I've always sort of uprooted myself and replanted myself. And I'm continuing to do that now, but now it feels more like I'm a wandering star finding my orbit. And before, I felt like I was a meteor crashing into planets. Wow. Um, Good analogy. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I believe that when I left New... So I lived in New York off and on for seven years, seven, eight years. And when I finally, this past, well, gosh, I guess a year ago in June, um, I left, I was working in venture capital and I felt great. Okay. I have this steady job. I'm here in New York. I'm mm -hmm. not in entertainment. I'm being taken seriously as a businesswoman. Um, it's not about my image, like insofar as it's a different kind of industry. Um, okay, great. Here I am. Well, no, <laughs> it didn't really work for me. Um, not only was the disease quote unquote progressing and I had no answers for my health, I found New York to be a very toxic environment mm -hmm. and um, I started retreating to my apartment for hours on end staying up writing music and making music let and me let's just like side note though what were you doing during this time for the progression of the disease right I had probably like three or four doctors I would see um, in different specialties primarily my rheumatologist and for the seven years I was in New York I probably tested, in addition to all, like taking rounds of steroids mm -hmm. off and on and having steroid injections in my joints, I was probably testing like four different biologic injections for the, for, 
fuck? rheumatoid arthritis. So wow, and they didn't work, and I was getting really ill from them because mm-hmm. they suppressed your immune system. So, so I just like I'm seeing you being in New York, where like you mentally and logically are seeing like here's my stable chance to just have a life of you know <laughs> stability and and like groundedness and like you know ease and New comfort me. because like I have a you know a steady income coming in and it's not dependent on you know those all those factors of you know that full sense of stability in an occupation that is, you know, quote unquote stable. And then seeing you as the spiritual being that you are just it actually seeing that that energy is almost like coming out of your skin yeah. in a sense of like, it's just reacting to, you know, it's, it's just such an oxymoron because I think a lot of people think like, okay, if you have a steady job, then that gives your, your whole life stability to just breathe. And in essence, like our, our spiritual communication is just coming, like yours was just coming through, but it was coming through in the form of your disease. I really believe so. And I can't say that I've ever actually thought about it that way, but I really believe that to be true. And it's funny now, I then I was talking about my illness all the time. Uh, it was something that, whenever people would look at me, or if I ever told them, you know, oh, I'm, I have rheumatoid arthritis, or I have an autoimmune disease, go, oh, wow, I would never know. You know, you look so, they would say, oh, you look so normal. Thanks. Um, <laughs> great. It's nice. Um, but I felt that I had to actually always put that at the front of the canvas for people. Like, look at me, I'm strong. I'm not just this face you see. Mm-hmm. I have problems. Mm-hmm. And that was a really big fallback for me. And I used that my whole life. I became dependent on the identity of having a chronic illness yeah. and living with chronic pain. And so it's funny for you to have to like get me back on track to talking about it because now it's just something that... I don't identify with anymore. Yeah. But I also understand that part of it as well, because I think that a lot of people, myself included, we feel like the world doesn't support our healing. And so we have to give an excuse to saying like, like, please don't tell me that I look all relaxed and put together because all I need is rest and and recuperation and healing like it's almost like our we innately know our souls and our bodies need so much more restoration than this world is saying is appropriate particularly in new york city (laughs) dear god in new york city (laughs) yeah i mean and i thrived in new york i mean i still do i just went back for a a, like a three-week visit and it's it was really beautiful to go back now and compare who i I won't say who I was then and who I am now, but who I was there then yes. and who I am there, there now. now. Yeah. And I could really taste why I was there for so long. The energy is is palpable. And for me as an artist and a musician and a writer and someone who's very creatively inspired, by, I studied cultural anthropology at Columbia. That's why I lived in New York. Um, I love being around people. However... <laughs> someone who loves being around people and who likes to stay out and continue to talk with people and be in every scene that I possibly can and learn and grow. Um, I was in the finance tech world, also in the art world and the nightlife restaurateur world. And 
I just, I loved that. It's also very unhealthy and you don't take time to rest. Right. Um, Because there's an imbalance. It's unhealthy because there's an imbalance. So I would change my diet and try to, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to eat gluten or dairy and, um, and, or I'm not going to eat meat either. And that'll (laughs) give me all of the stability I need. Been there, Sydney. Right. Right. And and people would, so what you should maybe consider changing your diet. No, I don't eat gluten. Oh, but, and you still have problems. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Let me reconsider reconsider a lot of things. Um, so I, I kind of left New York in a real hurry. Um, I didn't say bye to many people. I, I have a very close relationship with my uh, previous boss. Um, and he saw what was happening in my life and was really supportive of me. And so when I, I gave him like eight weeks notice, I was like, look, I love you and I love I love my job. I love this company. So I'm giving you a lot of time to reorganize, but I'm 100% leaving and not going to be involved in this world anymore. And I didn't know what the heck I was going to do. Oh, and wait, you really had no idea? No idea. I was just going to leave. I, I had made a plan. I was going to go to Hawaii and like work on a farm, do some work away, you know, woofing thing. Mm-hmm. And some, yes. of, like, some of my friend's younger siblings had done. Yes. I was like, I'm going to be like kids and <laughs> do that thing. And uh, right before I was leaving New York, a week before, I meet this girl, woman, she's my age, at uh, a friend's event, a mutual friend of ours. I'd never met her before, which is very surprising because the communities I was involved in in New York are very small and incestuous. And I was like, hey, who are you? I was very drawn to her. And we started talking and I just like unraveled as I normally would at that time about my health. And she's like, well, where are you going? I was like, I think I'm gonna go to Hawaii. I just need a healing environment. Volcanoes sound nice. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and she's like, well, I don't, I actually don't know about the healing um, environment in Hawaii, but I do know about the healing environment in Peru. And I actually have um, a shaman that I work with very closely, and he's a grandmaster shaman of the Shipibo Kanibo tribe. And she starts going off, and I'm like, wait. <laughs> Peru, Amazon, Shipibo. I've heard about these, you know, uh, this all in my anthropology classes, mm-hmm. but. Okay, we need to get coffee. So she and I had one more coffee, and after that, I booked my tickets. Wow. And my mom booked hers too, and my mom went down with me. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. So my mom actually had been researching ayahuasca long before I brought it up to her as an alternative method for autoimmune diseases. Um, so she had already been interested in it as mm-hmm. a Western physician. So when this person kind of unloaded and was like, you know, this is what I know about Peru here, and maybe some, medicine. And all so that you stuff. you were somewhat familiar. I was relatively familiar with with the indigenous populations of the Amazon, but only in so far as a cultural anthropology student would be. Okay. Um, in terms of plant medicine. I, you didn't think that it was going to be a saving grace or something that would help well, you? I had no idea about that. At that point in my life, I was so open to anything being better than what I was already doing. Yeah. Um, I was actually very open to it. Being, I mean, she was very positive. She was this shaman has cured Lyme's disease, Crohn's, gout, um, two bouts of cancer. I mean, he's his track record was pretty good in terms Mm -hmm. of these chronic illnesses and so I was very open in that capacity but you really don't know what you're getting into until you go down there and live there for two and a half months which I did 
Yeah, like, holy shit. (laughs) Because, like, all I can think is that I can't imagine leaving what I perceive to be comfort and immersing myself into... It's to me, it's the same. It would be the same as like jumping off a cliff and just like leaving New York was kind of like jumping off a cliff. So to go to Peru was kind of like to land safely in water, you know? Um, wow. <laughs> so then just bring us from the time, like, what was it like from the time that you landed? Well, right before I took the flight there, I did a month long road trip by myself across the country and sort of got myself into, okay, learn how to be alone, Uh, (laughs) go to like remote places in this country and learn how to be, be (laughs) and meditate. And I sort of started getting this solitude practice down. And uh, then I take a flight down. This was in August of last year. And I spent like about a week with my mom and my stepdad also also came. The and whole the, family's like, the whole family's like we're my brother gonna... was like, why wasn't I invited? <laughs> and my sister's like, why do I have two kids? Um, um, but we spent like a week. We went to Machu Picchu, et cetera. And then they dropped me off at the center where I was going to be living for, we didn't know how much time. We were waiting for the shaman to tell us. Okay, so the family's not signing up to do this they just wanted experience to see, with you. They just wanted to see where is our daughter going to be living yeah. and, <laughs> and mean, with like, whom. Yeah. And, right. Um, well, what was... So they were actually there for the first conversation I ever had with Guillermo. Who, Maestro Guillermo is the master shaman of... One of the master shamans of the tribe. And we sit down at this table that's in this beautiful center that's made up of just like it's in a mountain face and there's about a hundred steps that takes you from where you eat to where you sleep and every building is just raw wood that they cut down and then turned into buildings uh and all of the Shipibo design is everywhere it's just a beautiful place to be. wow and so we're sitting um at one of the tables in the commodore space and oh, i just remember taking a sigh like okay here and uh, Guillermo asks me in Spanish no one speaks English he says what is your intention of being here and granted I don't remember having cried in a really long time and I'm a crier like Mm -hmm. I'm a I'm a Scorpio and probably have some cancer in there like I'm very emotional but I hadn't cried in a long time I had really kind of cut myself off from feeling that way And when he asked me what my intention of being there was, it's like he already began the work on me, which he did. He's an insanely powerful person. And something opened in my heart and like I felt some wall be broken down and I started crying and I just said, I need help. And that's all that could come out. And of course my mom starts crying and my my friend who brought me there starts crying. (laughs) We're all crying and Guillermo's just smiling and nodding and he goes, (laughs) okay, we can help you. And so that night was the diagnosis ceremony. And that was my first time ever drinking ayahuasca. And actually, he doesn't... So is your family still there? My family? Oh, for the ceremony. He invited them to stay. And my mom kind of wanted to, but they had to fly back to the United States in two days. And she's like, I'm going to just wait. Yeah. So my mom's actually joining me um, next month and is coming down to participate for two weeks in ayahuasca ceremony. So that is happening. But no, they they left and um, I had my first 
ayahuasca ceremony. And, you know, Guillermo doesn't typically, you could use the word prescribe, but he doesn't typically recommend ayahuasca to many people, actually. Um, he... He and when the Shipibo in Shipibo ayahuasca ceremony, when you drink, you drink once and you drink very little. It's not like a okay, have more, glass have another, have another glass, cup, yeah. have another cup. No, um, they drink quite a bit, and their work that they're doing during ceremony is really facilitated by the medicine and their song. Their song is like a technology tool from another place, mm-hmm. um, and. So that night was my first ever ayahuasca experience um, with the Icaros, which is the song, and with a shaman. <laughs> and it was pretty beautiful, but it was it didn't prepare me for what was to come over the next nine weeks, four times a week drinking ayahuasca. <laughs> oh my uh, God. I drank the mom a lot. <laughs> Okay, my only reference to this would be like my only like experience with something that is a healing plant would be cannabis. Mm-hmm. And when I had a really intense experience with it was when I I ate an edible in Denver mm-hmm. and it honestly it wasn't a large dose, but this is something that I I have been wanting to take my listeners through mm. on my podcast and now is still not the right time okay. but I'm <laughs> well, just saying yeah but I'm just saying that like it was <laughs> so much of what I've come to understand as being a hero's journey and in, mm. in the sense of you don't get that shift without going through mm. the shit mm-hmm. like <laughs> all sure. of like really what it's like all of the pathways of your mind have to be explored or have to be revealed in a way like, you know, this is your thought process. This is how you view the world. This is how you view yourself. This is how you view everything that you've experienced up until this point. Like that was kind of what that experience was. And then afterwards there was a very big, you know, um, misidentity like I had lost part of myself mm-hmm. so it was a journey and a hero's journey so like mm. my that's why I was like holy shit that you experienced that over and over and over and over so yeah. like Jesus like just where do you even start well I'll first start by saying you don't always have effect with the medicine every time you drink okay um, it's pretty common to not have effect or to have you know a mild effect with some visions and experience and bodily functions uh, for like an hour or two and then it can pass and you fall asleep or what have you. But um, it actually took me, speaking of cannabis, cannabis is a master plant as ayahuasca is, but they don't get along in the plant spirit world. Okay. Um, So you have to have been off cannabis for quite some time, a couple weeks at least, before you work with medicine. Interesting. I didn't really follow that rule because cannabis was a really important part of my life, particularly for pain management. Yes. Um, But according to Guillermo's son, who was the facilitating shaman, he was the shaman who stayed with me my whole time there. Guillermo travels all over the world um, and facilitates in various parts of the world. But... um, his son told me after about like three weeks to a month, he goes, you know, it took me two weeks to clear the marijuana energy out of you. And I started thinking, I was like, wow, that makes sense because for two weeks, all I was seeing was bugs. (laughs) Like all I was working with was snakes and bugs and like insects crawling inside of me and out of me. So you're saying that that's what 
that's what you saw like in your visions. It made sense to me that I had, I wasn't able to break through some sort of walls because what he explained to me, which is very interesting, cannabis works a lot with the ego. Which makes sense if you think about it, like it's all about kind of satiating the the self. You're you're hungry, you eat a lot, you're thirsty, you drink a lot, you think everything's really funny, you're funny, you're smart, you're creative and great. And mm-hmm. it's a like really elating drug um, or substance or plant, whatever you want to call it. Um, but it also depends how you use it. Um, but what he told me is for someone with an ego problem like you, <laughs> uh, he goes, since you were a little girl, you've, your ego has been inflated. You've been, he kind of told me this without ever knowing anything about me. He's like, your mom and your dad have been pushing you in entertainment and to be a face and to use your beauty. Mm-hmm. And you have always led your life with that. And so then to have such a deep relationship with cannabis and not address those ego problems first exacerbates it a little bit. It totally does. And so he gave me some really like wonderful tips on meditating with cannabis and turning it into a meditation journey, which is how I use it now. And it's been really illuminating, but while you're down there, there's no, there's no cannabis use at all. And, uh, well, what were some of those tips? He he recommended, he said that the plant is very, she loves attention, marijuana. So to give her your undivided attention proves to be harder than you think. Particularly in effective marijuana, your attention, your awareness and your consciousness becomes absorbed in so many other things. I find mm. myself, I'm like, okay, I'm going to meditate now well, you know, the ceiling fan is on and I don't really want it on. And then if it's not the ceiling fan, it's a lamp. And if it's not the yeah. lamp, it's your jeans. Yeah. So it's like really focusing. I think also having intention before you consume cannabis in some way, whether you're smoking it or eating it, um, taking a moment, it's the same thing you do with ayahuasca, same thing you should really do with your food, same thing I now do with any experience I have is f- take a breath before you go into the experience and thank the plant for being there to support you and guide you and thank yourself for taking it in and you're guiding yourself through the journey and connect with what your intention is going to be in that, in that guidance and in that journey. And once you have a very clear intention, continue to come back to that as like, as a meditation, um, don't go watch your favorite funny movie. Mm-hmm. Don't go make music. Don't go hang out with your friends and laugh and joke and play a board game um, or get into some deep conversation about existence. Sit there with your intention and watch the wonders that happen because I've had so many incredible journeys now with cannabis that I never had before. And it's really since coming out of a experience in the Amazon where I, I respect plants in this totally new way Mm -hmm. I view them as these ancient beings that have more knowledge than I could ever conceive of and the more beautiful thing is that I recognize that through them I have all that inside of myself too Mm -hmm. and that's what the journey with ayahuasca was about for me was not necessarily asking for her guidance every night but asking myself to guide myself through the healing journey and she's able to facilitate that the plant Wow. Yeah. So, nice. so starting from kind of the beginning, how did you, how do you witness that this healing took place? So for two weeks, my intention was with the medicine was 
help me get rid of the pain. That was my intention. So did you leave all of your prescriptions in America? I had already taken myself off of medicine. Um, I also for 10, 15 years was on anti-anxiety, antidepressants. And I took myself off those, I'd say about a few years before um, this point in my life. And then within a year, I took myself off steroids and... Um, I was on like maybe three medications at once for arthritis and I took myself off all of them because I didn't see any improvement, any improvement. Um, I saw only problems. So yeah, I was med free. Which lets also like bring in awareness that like had any of those medications worked, perhaps you would not have been journeyed to. Or had they masked the symptoms. Yeah, exactly. um, Yeah. Had they masked the symptoms and you know, there are medications that slow the progression of the disease, and I believe that to be true. What I don't believe to be true is that they know I had a disease that they thought I had. There was never any indication that I did. Um, what the shaman told me, what he saw, because he do, does this like diagnosis ceremony, you could think of it that way, where he programs into your body certain plants that are going to heal you based on what he sees. So he goes in, he sees what he sees, and they look at it from um, a few different vantage points, physical, emotional, psychological, and spiritual. So from all of those different perspectives, he sees what's going on inside of you during ceremony, and in that first ceremony, opens your diet, which means he programs certain plants to work on yourself, on all four of those categories. So for Three weeks I was quote unquote dieting, meaning I was consuming um, a sap from a tree called Ohe. It's actually a toxic sap that the shamans are able to concoct so it's palatable to the system. And it's a blood detoxifier. And it is really intense <laughs> and sends you on an emotional journey and can wipe out your energy or give you intense amounts of energy. It was really a roller coaster. Um, I believe that that's what cleared up my skin. I had a lot of skin problems, mm-hmm. like terrible, like cystic acne and um, weird infections. My cousin's a, um, she's like a triple board certified dermatologist. She couldn't figure out, she's like, change your diet. I'm like, I changed it. Yeah. Um, so I believe that's what cleared my skin was the Ohe. Then it was like another plant that I took saunas with, these like beautiful, amazing vapor baths where you sit under four blankets with a steaming pot of this plant for half an hour. And that was, uh, that was Aho Sacha. She was my joy plant. And there are many others that I, that I consumed during my time there and they changed, you know, he had like a regiment for me and he said three to four times a week, you should drink ayahuasca as well. So that's what I did. Were you eating other things from the place as well? So when you're on diet, you follow a strict, I'd like to think of it as an energy diet which encompasses food, but it also encompasses energy you get from outside. So you're not supposed to take in much sun, no sugar, no salt, no sex, no alcohol, no cannabis, um, no peppers, no citrus, nothing that could make food taste any differently than it already tastes as itself. (laughs) Which being from New Orleans was like, "Eh, what's this food that isn't food? What's this potato? Um, But after I'd say like a week, I was fine. I was like, oh, wow, I can actually taste what food tastes like. That's kind of cool. Yes. Um, And it's everything to just humble your system, 
humble that human self that believes it knows what is best and it doesn't (laughs) Um, humble that and surrender yourself to a knowledge that's greater than you can ever believe Mm -hmm. so that you can take take that in and the plants can work on you because ayahuasca in particular can't can't, doesn't want to compete it just won't compete if it sees something that's like really flaming up inside of you, like sexual energy or particularly cannabis or a lot of salt or pepper, um, it says, I'm not going there. And you probably won't have effect or it'll be really volatile and you'll be like purging, not in a great way. Um, so, Which is what I'm sure a lot of people who have researched ayahuasca on their own. Yes, it does seem, you know, the mainstream idea of it is that you are like actually purging, like vomiting your, I never all did. of your demons. Yeah, I never vomited. Yeah. And so it's so summer, great to know that. I had insane purging the other direction though. Yeah, yeah I was always running to the bathroom. Um <laughs> Actually, not really running, slowly walking in the dark um, with a smile on my face because I oh knew gosh. what was about to come out was all of the things I had just seen. Oh my gosh. Um, and I would have never So, Sydney, said you that. actually very much related what you were seeing visually, or, or it's not visual. What it is you, visual. It is visual. Experiential. Experience, you're really relating what you were experiencing to what you were eliminating physically. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Eliminating or I'd say where I came to was more having compassion for, I no longer even wanted to eliminate anything when my, where my intention was the first two weeks, ayahuasca, please take away my pain. (laughs) By my last ceremony, it was ayahuasca. I humbly surrender myself so that you can take me to a place of compassion and understanding so that I may more deeply understand myself. And when you have understanding and compassion at the forefront of your intention, what you see is incredible because you know that by the end of your journey that night, you're going to be holding that demon that you saw at the beginning. Many times I would see these insane creatures that I really identified as being like organisms living in me. Um, one of them was this, like this great, huge, big, disgusting caterpillar, like slug looking thing. And it was terrifying, man. It had like a thousand and seventeen teeth and was so gross. And it was like trying to consume me. And all I, all I had to do was scared the whole time. I wasn't scared. I was, I went there knowing that I was going to see, I had many friends in, in New York that had, um, had experiences with medicine and some who were like, Oh, I'm never doing that again. Or some who were like, Oh my God, I need to do that. But only like once a year. Um, so I knew that I was going to, and I'd done my research. I knew I was going to see some shit, but, uh, what I, I'd say more, what I felt more than fear was like, how can I listen? How can I, cause the initial reaction is, to like yell at this thing, like go away <laughs> or, or like, or like, or like, don't take me. Yes. Like, you know, I'm like, very being in that experience. Like myself, I feel anxiety. I feel mm. very afraid. I feel like I'm, you know, inside of myself and I can't escape. But when your intention it's, that's why it's so important what your intention is at the beginning, because you connect the intention with the medicine. So the moment you ask the medicine to, 
to connect back with your intention, she takes you there. So if your intention is, I want to understand, I want to listen, mm-hmm. immediately you see this incredible slug-like caterpillar thing, and instead of going, get out, <laughs> you go, okay, I'm going to shut up and listen to what you have to say. And what happens is such a journey. Oh my gosh, you you end up listening to yourself, a self that you've never heard, the voice you've never heard before. And you still recognize this thing as being other than you. And you're like, okay, I need to really have patience. And I, why, why do you want to live in my hand? Why do you want to cause this? Why, why can't I move my fingers? Tell me why you're causing this pain. Like, in, it, like instead of continuing to ask that, the medicine tells you, just listen. Just listen to what it has to say. Mm-hmm. It's not always going to give you the answer that you want, but just yeah. listen what you think you want. And by the end of it, you end up holding this thing in your arms like a child. Really, so many times that happened, and crying and going, "Gosh, I'm I am you." Mm-hmm. All the inse- it's usually insecurity based or fear based or trauma based. And you so you up- did feel like you were getting some actual definitive answers. Oh yeah. To what, and what can you share? Like what in some of those were? So, first of all, the diagnosis had materialized inside of me as, as many different things and came up as many different types of visions. The diagnosis itself, the experience of the diagnosis, I actually relived from my mother's vantage point because she was sitting next to me when I was 10. I relived that moment as her and I felt her pain. And it was so foreign to me. It was so, it was a, it was like a mother's pain for a child. Mm-hmm. And, and I was bawling, crying, like, what is this? I relived the pain that she went through with the divorce with my father. Like, I was became my mother. What I recognized is I took on so many traumas of people around me that I loved. And those, I had closed up around those. So the like most tangible thing I saw was this opening up around trauma, traumatic experiences, things in my childhood, like being very, very ill for the majority of my life and not being able to be in school and living, one of the households I lived in was like very abusive and not conducive to a child's healing and reliving that and like softening around it and having compassion for the the abuser or having compassion for the person who was neglectful and that was so liberating for me and i realized that those things were perpetual were like perpetuating the disease yes. in such a big way mm-hmm. and um, and had you consciously been holding on to these things some of them yes some of them no some of them i would say i was like i'm fine with all that now i'm over it right. i'm over that yeah. like i'm adult and <clears throat> but when you really listen to what's going on and you give space for voices to appear and to speak that are inside of you, you realize that you've been like building walls around. And this mm-hmm. is something I was reading many meditation, like Zen Buddhist meditation texts, um, just like various like spiritual texts, you could say. And all of them were, while I was there, and it was a really great guide, and all, all of them were saying something similar about softening of the heart. And this like bodhicitta heart warrior um, to soft to like be brave in the face of all of this 
pain, you could say, and like trauma is to soften your heart. That's the bravest thing you can do is to go into all of that with a soft heart and accepting it. And it was so liberating and I fell in love with myself and I had one ceremony where all I wanted to do was like kiss my own eyelashes and hold my (laughs) hand and like make love to myself in this way I never thought I could Mm -hmm. and just like hold I was like on the toilet like having a moment with like my Peruvian (laughs) tobacco and was like I love you me (laughs) and like writing myself love poems and having those experiences of self-love and self-compassion are so important for healing particularly physical healing I believe um I'd say the biggest experience I had in terms of letting go uh was in my last couple weeks there, all my pain had gone away Mm -hmm. and pain came back in, um, one of my joints after like, I don't know, a couple ceremonies. When did your pain go away? After like two weeks, two, three weeks. And Uh, so for your entire life you had experienced this pain and then it was gone and then it was gone and it was gone. I was like, Oh, it worked, you know? But, but, you know, my mind, I feel like in that experience is like, okay, it's right there. It's going to come back. Like, don't get used to this because (laughs) that's so, and I feel like. So it did. It came back in one joint and it was bad. Like I couldn't, I couldn't move this one finger and I was like, oh my gosh, it didn't work. What's going on? Like, I think everything failed, you know? Right. And, um. But I didn't quite believe that, but there was that like self-defeatism going yes. on. So I have this ceremony <clears throat> where I, uh, I had this moment with the medicine where I, I said, okay, I need you to take me to the source so that I can begin to understand what's going on. Take me to the source of this pain here. And she said, no. I said, why? You showed me before. And she said, mm, yeah, but you really need to learn that so long as you want the pain or asking the pain to go away, it never will. I said, but how can you expect me to want to live with pain? How would you expect that of me? And she said, okay, I'll give you a couple tests. And the first test was that she blinded my right eye. And I can't express that this was real except to say that it was. And she blinded my right eye and I was blind in this eye. And I my gosh, okay, this sucks. She's like, how grateful are you now to have this left hand being blind in this right eye? And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I get it, but I don't want pain in my left hand Nor do I want to be blind. Nor do I want to be blind. (laughs) And she goes, okay, you're not getting it. Um, All right. So she sends this cloaked, hooded, like kind of like Grim Reaper dude over to me with a machete and he cuts half my body. Horrifying. 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 (laughs) (laughs) But I'm like laughing because I know this to be these like funny tests of hers and I'm like, this is great that I'm able to elicit all of this. So she says this like Grim Reaper dude cuts half my body and so the right half of me is like, ugh, not not existent anymore. She goes, how blessed are you to have this left hand to guide you through the world without half your body pain or no and I said yeah yeah, yeah, I get it it's a little more clear but I got half of my body but I I gotta say I still how great would it be to not have pain in the half I have Mm -hmm. and she goes oh my gosh all right 
So then she takes a spoon and she carves out my eyes. She sews up my lips. She takes off my nose. She cuts off my ears. And she says, Sydney, you have no senses left. You have no way to get throughout this world except your left hand. How grateful are you? And I said, gotcha, mama. But I really, I can't let go of not wanting pain. And she said, okay, I have one last test for you. And I know that with, I'm going to take something from you that without, you won't be able to move throughout this world. I said, okay. And she cuts my vocal cords and rips out my tongue and says, now you have no voice. And in that moment, I had all of this light come from my heart and spread throughout my whole body and radiate into this hand. And I looked at it eyes closed or open, I don't remember. And it was like vibrant and love and compassion. And I started crying. I said, oh my God, I don't want anything to be different in me. I love every part of me. I don't want to wish away anything that is me. Why would I ever want that? And it was this moment for me where, yes, to have the threat of the thing. I, I'm a singer. That's, that's the core of my identity. I'm a writer. Voice is very important to me. Yes, to have that taken away is terrifying, but more terrifying is to wish something away from myself, even pain. And after that ceremony, which was about like a month in or so, um, things really changed and every journey I had with the medicine was very knowledge-based and it was it was totally separate from physical ailment and that's really why I'm going back because I recognize now that the work I can do with the medicine is not physical healing related. And it's so much more about this spiritual path and this knowledge about myself that I want to know. Wow. Yeah. It's awesome. Wow. <laughs> and Peru. Oh, Peru. Like, it's so beautiful. And, and I don't even mean to romanticize it because I don't find that to be helpful, but you, you can't believe what it means to humble yourself to the the ancient knowledge of this land until you're there forced to humble yourself to the ancient knowledge of this land like these waterfalls that have been they have been the homes of spirits for thousands and thousands of years and these these beautiful forests and these insects that they you know they speak a language from another dimension when you really listen and it's just it's a really magical place and I mean that like it's magic and magic is real. <laughs> yes. Okay. So we're, we're definitely like moving from a very physical motivation of, of getting to this place to then it transpiring to a much more spiritual experience. And, and I think that that is relative for every transition, for every motivation, just that, that transition from something that unfortunately sometimes has to physically manifest in order to get our attention, but that always has spiritual roots. Um, I totally agree. Something that's coming to mind to me to ask you is that I have a lot of hesitation and fear in getting into places that I have now seen are a sense of, of me losing myself. And I think that we've been programmed so much that, you know, in this, um, world of, of 
drugs, what we've, what we, you know, deem to be drugs and illegal things Mm -hmm. that there's, you know, for me, I don't know, maybe it was the way that I was raised. Maybe it was being raised here there. It was imparted on me that like you could lose your soul. Mm -hmm. You could lose who you are. Mm -hmm. You could lose your life. Mm -hmm. And so a, a couple of times in these experiences that I'm talking about, it's come up just that like, I'm a, I actually sometimes do fear like getting really into the experience that I may not come Come back. Did you ever have that sort of experience? I did. I had maybe like two or three moments where I really wanted the medicine to teach me how to fly. (laughs) (laughs) Because who wouldn't? Because (laughs) who wouldn't? And after I moved past the physical, um, I won't say the physical realm by any means because it's not to denote the physical to something below the spiritual, but um, once I'd come to terms with my physical healing, I began working with the shaman there a lot on this like new type of knowledge, the new type of work you could do with medicine. More of a science, the science of controlling time, the science of my, of what you can do with your mind. But it's a very finicky you can say it's very tricky business um, because of what you're talking about. It takes so much control uh, to bring yourself to a place where you can elevate and lift out and fly or control time and stop your breathing that it takes just as much control to come back and land and to begin to breathe again. So <laughs> I did have a couple times, I'd say two or three times where I experimented in this way. And, um, it was like my choice. It wasn't something where I felt like I was being, I had a few exorcism moments, but they were relieving. I was like, yes, this thing is coming out of me and this is great. Um, this was more like me wanting to come out of myself. And I do believe that some of that was my intention was not as pure because it was kind of like human guilty I I really suffer from human guilt and feeling like. Well, a lot of people do. I think so. Absolutely. It's like. We love feeling guilty. Yeah, we love feeling. But guilty of being human. Yes. Like, yes. And like. uh, Which all (laughs) guilt is guilt of being human because it's saying that like something that we did wasn't right. And what is right by any standard? It's if we're here to experience our experiences are going to range from right wrong you know the question of morality comes into play and it's it's still like i think it was mostly being human in relationship to being human on this planet Mm -hmm. and a lot of what i was seeing was i am the same seated in the same just seated in a different vantage point in the field of consciousness and awareness as not only everyone else but everything else And that was the human guilt going away. But I really look at what I consider we have done to this planet, and it plagues me. Mm -hmm. And what we've done to our own species, and it plagues me. And I I struggled with suicidal thoughts before quite a bit, and I think that's why they put me on this medicine before when I was younger. And, um, And then even now, I really struggled with these existential questions separate from my health but like why am what am I what am I really needed yes what am I really because we seem to be causing a lot of problems so what am I really needed for 
And so I believe that like when I wanted to leave myself, it's almost like I wanted to to be separate from human and look at <laughs> look from another perspective. Yes. And, and it was really difficult to get to that place, actually. Um, and when I would get pretty close, there would be sort of a fear like, whoa, I need to make the decision. Do I want to even come back? And a few times I said no. And I kind of saw where it went. And <laughs> it really illuminates in you the truth, like the truths that you have. Um, the truth of the matter is I want to be alive. The truth of the matter is I have a message to share and I want to be here and I want a voice and I want, you know, to take full responsibility for my body and be in it. And so for this reason, I, I didn't go to these places of no return. And, um, but from what I've heard is there's a way to navigate that world in like a really beautiful way. So I'm really interested in that. Mm -hmm. Um, But does the navigation end on earth? Of course. Well, (laughs) um, it ends you coming back into awareness of your body. Yeah. Yeah. But I really believe that that perspective of awareness has shifted drastically. Yes. And you have a very different relationship with, with awareness, with you'd say collective consciousness, God, whatever you want to call it. Um, I mean, full disclosure, I didn't believe in God at all before I went there. In fact, I think I fought God a lot most of my life. I think a lot of people do. And I very much believe in God now. And I believe in a, a, a very personal God. Interesting. Um, yeah, it, it was, I fasted for several days after this like conversation I had with it, um, with something inside of me that I recognized as being a source of all. And that was a really huge journey for me there. A lot of my time there was working with my relationship with God, actually. And I don't really talk about it much because there's so much stipulation and um, preconceived notions about what God is. Certainly. But But our our language is limited. So I also encourage people who are listening to also understand that we're trying to explain things that may not have words to describe they definitely don't (laughs) their their immense nature but if you had to say because you are so connected to your voice and you are so connected to your heart I know and I feel what would you explain as your idea or understanding of God now Mm -hmm. I'd say that the easiest way to describe this is to kind of describe the the nature of the conversation I had with it. And when I say the word God, I use a lowercase g. When I say him, it's a lowercase h. I don't view it as a holier than than me. Mm-hmm. Um, I am God. Mm-hmm. Everything I am seated in a fabric that's... So the conversation uh, was, was sort of like this. It was like a three-tiered conversation with Sydney, the vehicle, the body, the, the physical realm being at the base, you could say. Above me was like my awareness, my consciousness that was channeling this message down to Sydney, the vehicle. And above that was the source, this like expansive and also infinitesimally small source of everything. And it wasn't a it wasn't a 
person in any way. It wasn't a thing that guided. It was rather... An understanding? An understanding. It was pure compassion and pure love. It was it was a type of relationship, you could say. Mm-hmm. It was a type of connective tissue that binds everything. And in that binding and in being that connective tissue, it's an infinite. It's expansive. It has nothing to do with quote-unquote, the universe. I began to see the universe as being this playground that God created for us to have a construct of a home. But really, it's things are so small and things are so big at the same time. And so that kind of like movement between this, the infinite and the infinitesimally small, hard to describe unless you've experienced it, but that was God for me. It was a source. It was never beginning. The Bhagavad Gita actually describes God in the best way <laughs> to me. Um, it says that God is unknowable and nearer than knowing. It's both at the same time. And St. Augustine he went into like a period of silence after feeling really ashamed that he had written so much about God claiming to know anything. And he's like, how could I have... The, the highest relationship one can have with God is to admit that you, you will never know him. Mm-hmm. And that resonated really deeply with me because I do feel sometimes lost on this path I can't see. But knowing that I won't know God... And knowing that it's something that I'm seated in, something that lives in me, something that is like almost I am a messenger for it, it gives me a lot of trust in myself to just walk the path and not need to see the path. And so for for me, that's how God has like played the biggest role in my life now um, in terms of where I'm walking. Because as of Thursday, I'm walking back to Peru, but then as of a few months later, I'm walking back to New York, and then I'm going to Turkey, and then I'm going to Europe. Like, I don't really know. Like, well, just pausing there, Sydney, yeah. that was a really, really, really beautiful description. Oh, good. I'm glad it resonated. <laughs> it's so much did because more than anything, I think that people just want to know, especially when they've begun this journey of of releasing old ideas of not no longer identifying with the things that they once did with maybe losing some relationships with maybe then embarking on things where they don't know there's no end result for them there's no uh, confirmation there's no security this is the path that I believe that most of us are walking all the time. And we've just, sometimes we convince ourselves, you know, through the constructs of society that, no, you're safe. No, you're secure. No, everything's going to work out like this. And living in a way that you understand that maybe you don't know the end of that path, but you understand that the path is your journey with God in the way that you described, that is such a moving and such an empowering message and a beautiful way to kind of close this conversation of what's been, I believe for you, such a journey to to that understanding. Thank you so much. Yeah, I, I agree. 
Thank you. That's, That's really so beautiful. <laughs> There's, Thank you so much. You know, what you experienced, I, I believe, has so, has infinite ways of being described and, and messages being given. And so I feel like, you, honestly, that we could talk about your experience <laughs> until the end of time. And most likely we will connect on it again. Um, but I also feel like it's going to come through you in, in what you choose to do. And I'm really excited to see ways that that develops as well. But, um, let me think if there's anything else, like kind of on the practical side that someone might wonder. Um, so how do you, everyone's going to want to go to Peru now. <laughs> so Peru's going to be busy. Um, but it's how do you just to get there? That's, that was the big realization. It was like, I mean, I say that relatively speaking. Um, it's like $500 a round trip. <laughs> That's not bad. It's not bad. And um, the particular center I was staying at is very, very affordable in comparison to a lot of retreat centers that you'll find online that are several thousand dollars for like 10 days. I, I being very transparent, I, um, I stayed for two and a half months, um, or I guess officially two months there at the center working. And... I paid about like $90 a day. Wow. That's including all my food, all my lodging, all my treatment, all my plants. Wow. So it, it really is feasible. Um, I totally understand that, you know, when you have a job and you have to live in these confines as you, as you described them, um, there's certain things you got to do and that's life. Um, but I also believe that you make your own life and, um, you can you can dedicate some time to to self to self wellness in that way in which in whichever way feels good at the time you know like exactly. you and I have both done meditation retreats like that worked for that part of the journey there are many things that you can just totally. show up for to bring you kind of closer totally it's about taking the step yeah like really and and doing that's something I've learned is that getting on the plane booking the ticket getting on the plane I was a very passive person when it came to action on my self wellness and to just make that effort to get on the plane was so big for me. Um, and you can do that. Like you said, with anything going to a meditation group every week is a huge step. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, to take that, dedicate that time. Um, but yeah, don't let there be, don't let there be excuses (laughs) to keep you from yourself. So if, so do you know signing up, how long you'll stay you can go you can go down there and like my mother's coming down and she knows that she can stay there for 10 days and so she will have 10 days of whatever Guillermo or the facilitating shaman um, deems necessary for her in terms of the plant diet and ceremonies or you can go down if you have this sort of flexibility and you say, you know what, like screw my job, screw what's going on. I need a change. And you go down and you say, what do I need? Uh, <laughs> and they'll tell you for me, when he told me he needed two months, I was like, Oh, I was expecting two weeks. I mean, anything other than two months. I was expecting two weeks. It's <laughs> actually two weeks and maybe a month is what I was told. And when he said two months, I, I was almost relieved. I was like, oh good, he sees some shit that he needs to clear and he knows what he has to do to do yeah. it. Cool. <laughs> um, and yeah, telling my mom was a little like, yeah. oh. And oh, it's also months. that, it's also that like, um, you know, you weren't apprehensive in that. Like you, it's it's very apparent that like you were ready. Mm-hmm. 
I, I just actually I put on a show um, a few nights ago. It was like a performance piece, um, part performance piece, part Q&A, to several friends and family friends who had questions about my journey there. And um, uh, someone was asking, like, well, weren't you, kind of like your question, like, weren't you scared? And, and is ayahuasca always, uh, are people always ready to go down there? Do you have to take into consideration where you are in your life? And... Um, you know, I think the questions are related because I think people, they can psych themselves out that they're not, or they're never in the right time to, to see the things that they need to see. You're right. Um, but on the other hand, there are certain things in your life that should be in order, certain sa- even safety precautions, like being on certain medicines you can't be on to go down, for example, um, or certain stability that it really does destabilize you. It's part of, it's like a unbalancing so that there can be equilibrium. And if you're in a place where you really feel like it's going to be a trigger for you in some fast like form, it's something to consider. Um, you also don't need to drink ayahuasca. Like I said, he often will do a plant medicine diet without ayahuasca even being a factor. So there are many options when it comes to alternative healing, as you know, and particularly plant medicine. Um, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful science and art form. Um, there's no one way that's right. So just like go down and experience and experiment and be open and listen and learn. Mm -hmm. Wow. Oh my gosh. I just, wow. It's it was such a beautiful description and there are still so many, um, things that are coming to mind for me, but I think that that is a lot of information and also (laughs) very inspiring coming from someone who experienced this massive shift and yet is still able to speak the message of the shift. Yeah. It, it to me really indicates that you have committed to yourself Thank you. I'm glad you're able to pick up on that. I mean, I do have many people wondering, like, asking the actual question, so when are you getting, like, a job? Like, getting um, back to reality, when are you, you going to get, like, when are you going to have, quote, unquote, back to normal, home? Quote, right. And I'll say that I'm, I trust myself so much now that I know that if I dive into a physical place or a physical career that doesn't resonate with that home I found in myself there, that it's not going to be a healthy choice. So I'm making kind of a drastic and hard but important life decision to say, I'm finding ways to support myself and continuing to travel and continuing to listen and learn and like meet beautiful people along the way and be open to like the winds shifting my path anyway yes. that it goes. And it has felt really beautiful. So anyone listening who's considering that, I say go for it. Yeah. And if you feel like you have the support of God, you have the support of everything. Everything. And yourself, the support of God is the support of you. It's self-love. Yes. That's, it's so important. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much, Sydney. You have an amazing meal to get to, so we're (laughs) going to let you go. Um, But I'm going to include Sydney's email in the show notes for you guys so that you can reach out if you have any particular questions to her. And um, and I'll also, if it's okay, include like the name of the center and things like that so that people can research it on their own. Yeah, it's pretty... 
it's family run by members of this tribe, so um, they, it's not like the biggest or greatest web presence, but I'm happy to answer any questions you have. It's very word of mouthy, so um, any questions you have, happy to answer them. Thanks so much, Sydney. Thank you so much, Nina. Okay, thanks everyone. Bye.